Praise Yahweh. We're going to begin in Leviticus chapter 11, and we'll read verses 1 through 8 to open the sermon today. Leviticus chapter 11, verses 1 through 8. The Scripture says, Yahweh spoke to Moses and Aaron, Tell the Israelites, You may eat all these kind of land animals. You may eat any animal with divided hooves and that chews the cud. But among the ones that chew the cud or have divided hooves, you are not to eat these. The camel, though it chews the cud, does not have divided hooves. It is unclean for you. The hyrax, though it chews the cud, does not have hooves. It is unclean for you. The hare, though it chews the cud, does not have hooves. It is unclean for you. The pig, though it has divided hooves, does not chew the cud. It is unclean for you. Do not eat any of their meat or touch their carcasses. They are unclean for you. May Yahweh bless His word to our hearts today. I recently got myself into some poison oak. It happens usually every year and had already gotten it one time this year, but I got it again about three weeks ago and it took me about two weeks to get rid of it. I'm not sure how it happened. I'm not sure how it ever happens, but somehow it finds me one way or the other. And it is just terrible. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. I told Tisha the other day that Yahweh could wipe an army out with poison oak. It's just awful. So I was laying in my bed one night uh, the other day, and I was itching like crazy, and I was wondering how in the world I was going to get some sleep that night because of this poison oak on my arms and my fingers. And in my mind, I'm wondering why poison oak exists. Because I'm saying in my mind, this stuff should not exist. But I'm thinking that because I'm frustrated with it and I'm tired of it. And I know if I stop and think a little bit more that Yahweh created it. And it is good. So it has to have a reason for its existence. But here's what I know for certain. It does not exist for food. I know that for certain. There is no way after having that poison oak that I'm going to go out and pick a basket of it and bring it in the house and start a pot of water and put it in there and boil some poison oak stew. That's just asking for sudden death to come upon you if you ask me. So I was watching a survival show not too long ago where these people get dropped off in the wilderness by their self. There's like 12 to 15 of these people and they get dropped off in the wilderness and they have to live alone and see how long that they're able to survive. The show is called Alone. It's a phenomenal show. I really enjoyed watching it. At the beginning of each season, they're instructed in certain survival tactics And one of these has to do with informing them of what they should not eat out in the wild because certain plants will kill them. They're poisonous. They will kill them if they eat them. And so my point here at the beginning of this lesson is that everything that Yahweh created in the plant world was not created to be received with thanksgiving. No matter how much you pray over poison oak, you're not going to turn it into romaine lettuce it's going to still be poison oak. So I believe that it's the same way with certain animals. In Leviticus 11, verses 2 through 3, Yahweh says, You may eat all these kinds of animals. You may eat any animal with divided hooves and that chews the cud. 
But then he goes on to talk about certain animals that you are not to eat. The camel, the rabbit, the pig. Now, does that mean that eating a rabbit is going to kill you in a matter of days like eating poison oak likely would? No. But Yahweh has a menu. And rabbit is not on Yahweh's menu. I tell people this all the time when they ask me, why do you eat the way that you do? I say, I eat off of Yahweh's menu. If it's not on His menu, then I leave it alone. I think that Father knows best, as the old show said. So I'm going with Father's decision. Whether I know the details of why He doesn't want me eating a rabbit does not matter to me, or a camel does not matter to me. What matters is that He says, don't eat the rabbit. And as my Heavenly Father, I trust Him. I trust His decisions. I trust His guidance. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 24 tells us that all of Yahweh's commandments are for our good. So let's look at what Yahweh says here in Leviticus 11 for starters. In Leviticus 11, 2-3, we have the criteria for an edible land animal. Yahweh says it must have divided hooves and it must chew the cud. Now, these are two things that you can visibly notice about an animal. You can see that a goat or a sheep or a cow has hooves that are split or divided all the way down the middle. And you can also observe a goat, sheep, or a cow in the pasture and you can see them doing what is called chewing the cud. The word chew in Hebrew literally means to bring back up. And chewing the cud refers to what's known as a ruminant animal. It's an animal that chews partly digested food. Now, these animals have four compartments in their stomach and each of the compartments take the food or the grass that they eat or the grain into a different level of digestion. So when a cow, for example, eats grass or grain, the food goes into the first compartment in its stomach called the rumen and it's mixed there with acidic and digestive liquids and then it's softened into small little patches of food that's called cud and sent back up into the cow's mouth. And the cow spends about eight hours a day chewing the cud. Eventually, the cud goes back down through the esophagus into the other three compartments of the cow's stomach. And then, obviously, we know where it travels from there, right? It's called cow patties. (laughs) We used to play hide-and-go-seek across the street with cow patties in the pasture when I was little. Now, that may not sound pleasant, But cattle farmers will tell you that chewing the cud is the sign of a healthy and comfortable herd. When a cow does not regularly chew its cud, it indicates there are stomach and digestive problems in the cow. Now, this detail is good to know because a cow takes approximately 24 hours to digest what it eats versus a pig which takes about four hours to digest what it eats. We'll talk about that more here in a little bit. It's good to know these details, and it leads us to an understanding about health benefits of eating what's on Yahweh's menu. But you don't have to know the details to be obedient. All you need to do is observe a land animal's hooves, make sure they're split all the way down the middle, and then observe its mouth. 
So if it has divided hooves and it chews the cud, it's a clean animal. And what that means is it's fit for eating. Let me mention here that this is what it means to call an animal kosher. The word kosher or kosher, depending on how it's pronounced, is a Hebrew term that simply means to be fit or proper. And in this context, it's referring to fit or proper for food. Fit or unfit may be a better way to describe what we usually call clean and unclean animals. For example, when we say that a horse is unclean, it does not mean that the horse is not a pretty animal or that it's a wicked creature. No, a horse is just as clean as a cow in one sense of the word. But a horse is not kosher, meaning fit or proper for eating. It's not on Yahweh's menu. Remember the criteria for land animals. Divided hooves, chewing the cud. The horse doesn't fit those criteria, so it's not considered to be food. It's very important that we understand that when we study the Bible, we find out that Yahweh has a limited definition of food. And just because you can cook something and put it in your mouth and chew it up and swallow it doesn't mean that it's food. So we have an animal like the pig. Leviticus 11 verse 7 says that the pig has divided hooves, but it does not chew the cud, so the pig doesn't make the cut. It's not written. You look at Yahweh's menu, pig's not on there. You don't order it. You don't ask the waiter to bring you the pig. It's not kosher, meaning it's not fit for eating. Now, Yahweh created the pig for a reason. I grew up watching the Flintstones meet the Flintstones. We're a modern Stone Age family, right? And under Fred and Wilma's sink was a pig. And that was the garbage disposal for the family. Pigs are good natural garbage disposals. And I've done at least two jobs for people with pet pigs in the same way that people have pet dogs. As a matter of fact, I was doing this job pumping out a septic tank. I was in a squatting position looking at something there on the septic tank and all of a sudden I hear something going like that. I have no clue what it is. I know the customer's around there somewhere and I'm thinking surely they're not snorting at me right now, right? So I turn my head up to look and see what I'm looking at and I kid you not, maybe about 12 to 18 inches from my face stood a big old potbelly pig <laughs> just looking at me. And then the customer walks out of the house and he said, you can pet him. Go ahead, you can pet him. I said, this is your pet. He said, yeah, I've got two of them. They stay inside. They're house trained. They know when to go outside. They use the bathroom. Just like people have a pet dog. Now, we find that it's funny for somebody to have a pet pig. Funnier than a pet dog. But a dog is an unclean animal, right? We don't eat dog because it's not on Yahweh's menu. Okay. I saw one picture one time of one of these new agers that, you know, maybe... I don't know, something along the lines of PETA or something like that that didn't believe in eating, eating animals. And uh, she had this sign that said, um, you don't eat your dog, do you? Why do you eat your goat or why do you eat a cow? And, and I responded to her and I said, because I read the book of Leviticus. And Leviticus lets me know that the criteria for the land animal is the divided hooves and the chewing of the cud. And the dog walks on all four paws, which Leviticus 11 later talks about. And that's an unclean animal. 
Not that it can't be a pretty animal, not that it doesn't have a purpose. Same way with the pig, but it's not food, it's not edible, it's not to be on my plate. So one particular lady, and I'm going on a rabbit trail, but one particular lady told me that the pig was the third most intelligent animal known to man. Now, I never verified this, but she said that the most intelligent was the chimpanzee, which makes sense. The second was the dolphin, and she said that the third was the pig. Blew my mind, but she took up with her pig, had clothes for it, a scarf for it, and everything. And, and I mean, you know, this, this, is, uh, this is something that really happens. So, I've even seen one man use his pet pigs or his pigs on his farm as tillers for his garden. He calls them God's rototillers. We're talking about what the pig's purpose is. Yahweh created it and all of Yahweh's creation is good, right? Doesn't mean all of the animals are fit or proper for food, but they all have a purpose. Watch this next clip as this guy talks about his rototillers. We'll feed them out here and uh, we'll throw corn and, you know, to, to encourage rooting for them to uh, get rid of all the roots, grass roots and whatnot. It's a muddy mess because we've had so much rain, consistent rain, it hadn't had a chance to dry out. Um, the little chicks did a pretty good job of getting all the topside vegetation cleaned out. And now it's the pig's turn to come in, uh, dodge little rototillers. And so we look forward to watching the progress in the garden over the course of the next month or so as we allow the pigs to be separate from the guinea hogs. And I stopped recording a little bit too quickly on my the last little clip about the pigs being moved into the garden because looky here, they have already started rooting. Look at the black organic matter that's coming up from under our failed attempt at back to Eden gardening. And just to be sure, the attempt failed because I didn't follow instructions. It's not because the method doesn't work. Uh, it doesn't work if you don't do it like you're supposed to. But this is exciting. Can't wait to see what it looks like. You'll be amazed what four pigs can do. So I'll be excited to see what it looks like in the next, really the next few days, because they've done this in about five minutes. So the pigs are good for something, but that doesn't mean that they're good for food. They're not on Yahweh's menu. So let's look next at the aquatic animals. We learn about these in Leviticus 11 verses 9 through 10. The Bible says, This is what you may eat from all that is in the water. You may eat everything in the water that has fins and scales, whether in the seas or streams. But these are detestable, these are to be detestable to you, everything that does not have fins and scales in the seas or streams, among all the swarming things and other living creatures in the water. So here we have two criteria for how to know what we should eat from the water. It must have fins and scales, not just fins, not just scales, but both. So a catfish is not kosher. Now it has a purpose... It is a good creation of Yahweh, but it's just not fit to eat because while it does have fins, it does not have scales. And this is a good place to mention that things like catfish and shrimp and lobster are just as unfit to eat as pig. Sometimes the doctrine of the clean and the unclean animals gets limited to the pig. And pig is one of the unclean animals, but there are many others. Pig is not extra unclean. 
over and above catfish or rabbit or camel or dog. They're all unclean. So, when you are concerned about what to eat or not to eat from the water, you make sure that it has both fins and scales. Next, in Leviticus 11, we have the birds. Actually, that's just an English translation. The word is from a verbal root that means to fly. And in Leviticus 11:13 through 19, we have a list of unclean birds. And this section is different in that Yahweh does not mention the clean birds, nor does He give us a criteria to tell us which birds we can and can't eat. He just gives us a list, a long list, of the unclean or the unfit birds. So what we do is we read the list here, and in the parallel passage in Deuteronomy 14, 11 through 18, and if a bird is not on the unclean list, then we're allowed to eat it. So birds that are unclean include the heron, the eagle, the vulture, the falcon, the raven, the owl, and the hawk. And if you think about it, one of the common characteristics of many birds on the unclean list is that they are birds of prey. They're hunters. Birds that hunt, prey, and kill other animals. Now that helps because some of the words from the Hebrew text of Leviticus are not easily translated into English, and scholars differ over what certain Hebrew words mean. Now, one of the things that helps us is by looking at when the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into Greek, the Greek Septuagint, because we can know better what a Greek word means than a more ancient Hebrew word means. So that helps when we look at this list of unclean birds in the Septuagint, and it also helps to realize that birds of prey are numerous in the unclean list of birds or flying things. So when deciding what birds are fit to eat, what birds are kosher, we should steer clear of the birds of prey. And then finally, in Leviticus 11, we have what some Bibles call insects. Literally, it means teeming or creeping or swarming things. Leviticus 11, 20 through 23 says, All winged insects that walk on all fours are to be detestable to you, but you may eat these kind of all the winged insects that walk on all fours. Those that have jointed legs above their feet for hopping on the ground, you may eat these. Any kind of locust, katydid, cricket, and grasshopper. All other winged insects that have four feet are to be detestable to you. So, the locust, cricket, and grasshopper are clean for eating. The picture on the screen, I just caught this guy or gal yesterday... This little grasshopper was on the porch. One of its legs was hurt, and I stuck my finger down there, and he climbed on it, and I took this snapshot. And I thought it was pretty cool. I hadn't seen a lot of grasshoppers lately. I was showing Brother TJ. He said he hadn't seen any lately as well. And you'll notice he has a jointed leg here for hopping. And here in the menu of Yahweh, we have some animals that we might not think would be on Yahweh's menu, but we don't get to decide the menu. Yahweh writes up the menu. So it is okay to have fried cricket or fried grasshopper if you would like. If, even if you eat kosher, that's a kosher meal. It's okay because why? Yahweh says it's okay. So He makes the decisions. Yahweh is in charge of what is food and what is not. And we have to retrain our minds to think like our Creator. Now, this keeps coming up and it's, it's related but a little bit unrelated to the sermon. This keeps coming up when I talk to people about the law of Yahweh, and I want to make it 
a point here in this sermon. We have to retrain our minds to think like the Creator. The new covenant promise is not that our heart is now our law. The new covenant promise is that Yahweh's law is now written on our heart and on our mind. See, there's a difference. Remember, the new covenant is Yahweh's law, written law, written on our mind and our heart, not that our heart and our mind is now our law. It's very different. So a lot of people, they say that they go by what they feel like or what they think is right, and they they just let their heart lead them because they're under the new covenant now, but that's not the new covenant. The new covenant is Yahweh's law, same law in tablets of stone and in the book of Moses, now written on our heart and on our mind. So, does our heart necessarily tell us, without looking at the law, about divided hooves or chewing the cud or fins or scales or jointed legs above the feet? My heart never told me that. But because Yahweh is on, Yahweh's law is on my heart, I go back and I read His law. It's the same law that's on my heart. I go back and read it in a book. And I want to obey it because He's given me that law on my heart. I want to make that point. It's very important. Very, very important. I want you to think about this. Eating is a common everyday occurrence. Eating is a social matter. Eating is something that we do when we invite someone over to our house. We don't just invite them over, generally. We invite them over for dinner. We'd like to have you over for dinner. We'd like to have you over for something to eat. We sit, we eat, we talk, we laugh. We have good fellowship around the dinner table. One of the greatest ways to show our service and devotion to our Creator is to let Him rule over something that we partake in just about every day of our lives. He governs what we put into our body and we make a conscious decision to obey what He said in regards to what we will eat and what we will not eat. Each time we sit down at the table and have breakfast or lunch or supper, we think about His instructions because we serve Yahweh with something we do every day. Each time we purchase something for food, we check to make sure if it is fit to eat. Is it on Yahweh's menu? No, it's not. We'll put it back. Is it on Yahweh's menu? Yes, it is. We'll take it home. So obeying Yahweh's dietary instructions or dietary principles helps us keep Yahweh always on our mind and reminds us that He governs over every little detail in our lives, even down to what we put into our mouth. Because we're fearfully and wonderfully made. So I remember one time I had to call Brother Arnold because... This was a long time ago. I was a lot younger, but I had accidentally put gasoline into my diesel engine. And I knew something wasn't right because when I pulled out, I didn't realize I had done it, but when I pulled out, it didn't feel right. knew something was amiss. And I found out that I had put 30 gallons of gasoline into a diesel engine and I was smoking like a freight train and the truck wasn't wanting to run. And the problem is, is that engine wasn't designed to run on on gasoline. It was designed to run on diesel fuel. And so if you put the wrong type of fuel into the wrong type of engine, um, you have a problem. And so it's the same thing with our bodies. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. And our Heavenly Father has given us so many great, blessed things to partake of and enjoy on this earth. And uh, we we should go by what He has said, I believe. So... Uh, Next up is a clip from a nutritionist named Dr. David Jockers. 
concerning the health and the scientific reasons to following the biblical dietary laws. Now, although there are some Torah observant believers, Torah observant believers now, that downplay the health aspects of the dietary laws. And I've looked into this. I'll comment on, more on this in a second. I believe that it is an absolute fact that following the dietary laws of the Bible will make you a healthier person. I would encourage you, before we watch, I would encourage you to go to YouTube and look up Biblical Health and Nutrition Principles by Dr. David Jocker. The whole video is 25 minutes. I've just got a really short clip from that. But all 25 minutes, I think, are beneficial for us to watch. Let's watch this clip. I'm Dr. David Jockers, and I run Exodus Health Center here in Kennesaw, Georgia. And I also have a, a big website called drjockers.com, where I provide all different types of health information, recipes, um, health and nutrition programs, lifestyle programs, why I don't eat pig meat, because I get a lot of questions on my website about people asking for pork-based recipes and bacon and different things, different things like that. And so I really wanted to make it clear why I don't advocate eating pork and eating pig products. And really what it comes down to is that for me, my upbringing, my parents are, um, are messianic. And uh, so because of that, being raised in more of like a Jewish culture, I was taught that pork was an unclean, unkosher meat. And so I really, as I, as I started to develop and um, you know, kind of take on my own spiritual outlook, I really looked into the science behind that. And what I found was that pork actually is, is really a parasite-ridden animal and it carries a lot of toxicity. And so the overall benefits, the actual amount of vital nutrients that we find in pork is relatively low. And then it has a higher parasite toxin load. So when I think about it, it's really an inferior food source. And on top of that, because they have a, a digestive system that moves very quick, in fact, we look at a cow and a cow's digestive system, it takes 24 hours. They have four stomachs. It takes 24 hours for them to fully digest food, whereas a pig, well, it'll get through their stomach and digestive system in four hours, which is just not enough time for the liver to really process and detoxify any sort of environmental chemicals that are in the food as well as parasites. And so pigs carry a very high parasite load. Um, and again, they're just scavenging along the ground and they're like a, they're like a living trash can. And that's the way we got to look at it. So God definitely put them on the planet for a reason, but it's to scavenge and to clean up the environment and not for us to consume. And that's why he made it clear in the Bible that it's an unclean animal. Also on top of that, you know, pigs are known to carry tapeworms, which, believe it or not, very, very common. And, and once we get tapeworms in our system, they're very hard to eliminate. I work with a lot of clients using parasite protocols in order to help eliminate these things. But it's very challenging in order to do that. Parasites will, will reduce your immune system and put chronic stress on your body. A lot of these people with parasite infections, they don't sleep well at night because parasites stimulate stress hormones at night. Stress hormones go up. The individual doesn't sleep well. In fact, that's one of the signs that you may have a parasite is, you know, 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night, all of a sudden you're wired, right? And you just can't fall asleep. You struggle to fall asleep no matter how hard you try. That is actually a sign, right, that a, a well-versed clinician will say, hmm, possibly there could be a parasite playing a role here. And uh, pork is one of the biggest carriers of parasites. So, you know, we look at the science, it just shows that we've got all these parasites in the animal products. And now we can cook and we could try to really, really cook it at a high temperature 
to kill off as many of these parasites as possible, and that's definitely effective to a degree. But some of the parasites are actually so virulent, they're so resistant that they can survive even high heat. So, um, so an animal like pork, again, not a whole lot of vital nutrients that we can't get, really no vital nutrients that we can't get from other animals like lamb, grass-fed beef, um, consuming bison or, or wild game, wild-caught fish. We get much more, a much greater nutrient value out of those animals, right, and consuming those than we would out of pork. And then with pork, we're also taking in a high risk for parasites and then other environmental chemicals and toxins as well. So when we watch something like that from a nutritionist, it makes us ponder, but I want to make it very clear that health is only a secondary reason for following Yahweh's dietary instructions. Yahweh does not say in Leviticus 11, be ye healthy, for I am healthy. He does say in Leviticus 11, verses 44 through 45, for I am Yahweh your mighty one, so you must consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. The dietary law message is primarily, first and foremost, a holiness doctrine. It's a holiness message. You must not defile yourselves by any swarming creature that crawls on the ground. For I am Yahweh who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your mighty one. So you must be holy because I am holy. So the dietary law is first a holiness message. To be holy means, doesn't necessarily change your moral or ethical quality, but it means to be set apart or different. The dietary law is put in place for the children of Yahweh to stand out, not in a boastful way, not in a braggadocious way, but in a way that makes it obvious that we do not serve ourselves, but instead we serve the one who created us, and we serve the one who created the animals. We serve Yahweh, so we let Him tell us what to eat and what not to eat. He is set apart. For a specific use. And so we're to be set apart for a specific use. And that's really the only reason that we need to observe the dietary law. We shouldn't need a detailed, meticulous reason to obey. We shouldn't have to have Dr. David here tell us the health and scientific aspects. That's great and that's good and I enjoy that. It's an absolute. But we shouldn't need that to obey. We should obey because he's told us to obey. In order to be holy are set apart like He is. If we only obey Yahweh when it makes good sense to us, it's not real and true obedience. If we only obey Yahweh when we have a feeling in our heart that something is right, we haven't yet surrendered to Him. You know that old hymn, I Surrender All? I think most people are lying right through their teeth when they sing that song. <laughs> I know I have before because I haven't surrendered all to Him. I haven't surrendered all to Him. I don't sing that song. I, I, I sing Christ surrendered all. But I've messed up so many times. I'm thankful for His grace and His mercy. Anyhow, we are to obey Yahweh because He speaks. Once again, the new covenant is His law written on our hearts and on our minds. So when Yahweh speaks, we say that's good enough. That's good enough. We don't question Yahweh. We don't talk back to Yahweh. We don't ask Him, well, I think the sun should rise in the west instead of the east. I think the Sabbath should be on this day instead of that day. 
I think a camel is pretty good enough to eat. I think a pig is pretty good enough to eat. I don't think a grasshopper is, is good enough to eat. It's so funny. I, I don't think Sister Vicky will mind me saying this, but I posted the picture last night on the ministry Facebook page, and Sister Vicky commented, and she said, Do I have to eat that, Brother Matthew? <laughs> Sister Vicky, I laughed and laughed and laughed. I said, No, Sister, it's no requirement to eat it. Yahweh doesn't say have Passover cricket or Passover grasshopper <laughs> like he does lamb. But if you, it's permissible to eat, but you don't have to. And another sister from out northwest, she said, Ugh, only if I absolutely have to, brother. <laughs> but see, there again, and, and I kind of feel that same way. But there again, we have to retrain our minds. Paul talks about the renewing of our mind because we've, we've all got things and concepts in our mind that don't come necessarily from the Bible, but that come from different locations on this earth into our brains. So we have to retrain our minds to love Yahweh's Word. So we don't question Yahweh. It's like a little child may not understand why he has a set bedtime. Maybe he, his dad tells him, you have to go to bed at 9 o'clock. My granddaddy would always do this. It stood for nine o'clock on the on the clock. One time I did that to my children. They said, "Are you calling us a loser, Dad?" <laughs> but that's what Granddaddy would do. He wouldn't even have to say anything. He just put this up. We knew it was bedtime. And you know, maybe the first night, eight thirty, you started feeling a little drowsy, and you said, "Well, it makes sense. Granddaddy's right. Nine o'clock's good." But maybe the next night you're wired up and you think, "I don't understand why I have to go to bed at nine, Granddaddy." Doesn't matter. Granddaddy knows best. He's wanting to get you in bed early so you get a good sleep that night for school in the morning. There's a reason why our elders and our elder Heavenly Father gives us instructions. We resist the urge to ask, but why, Yahweh? No, we don't ask why. We obey first and we understand later. Amen? Amen. As I close, I want to close with but what about question. I've shown numerous people over the years what I've shared with you today, and I've told them that this is why I eat kosher. And the usual response that I get after sharing this with Christians is, but that's Old Testament, and Jesus died so we wouldn't have to keep all of those laws. It's a common belief in Christianity that the blood of Yeshua cleansed the unclean animals. And I'm not going to take the time in this lesson to answer those objections. I don't even know if I'm going to get to them next week because I've got some more dietary law to cover that usually doesn't get preached. As Brother Arnold says, we should revisit these subjects. Apostle Peter says in Second Peter, he said, this is the second time I'm writing this to you so that I stir up your mind by way of reminder. And so we remind ourselves over and over of these important precepts and principles in Yahweh's Word. So it's very common in Christianity to think that the blood of Yeshua cleanses the unclean animals. And I'm going to take the time in this series of lessons, at least for this month, maybe next month I'll spend teaching on this as well. But I'll answer the main objections to a Christian's observance of the dietary laws in this series of lessons. And we're going to look at statements like this. Like some people say, well, those are just for the Israelites. That's one objection. Another one is, didn't Jesus die so we don't have to keep the law now? A third one is, well, God told Peter to kill and eat anything he wanted to eat. Uh, Mr. Phil Robertson's popular for quoting Peter over in Acts 10 when he talks about how he kills his animals. And I like Phil, but he's wrong on that subject. He's wrong on that doctrine. 
And then another one is, uh, as long as you pray over your meal, it's okay, it'll be good. We'll talk about that too. So I wanted to kind of go in another direction. I've been teaching out of the book of Galatians for 39 weeks. And I said, let's take a break from the New Testament and let's go back to the Old Testament. One time somebody thought that I only taught out of the book of Leviticus. I hope they're not listening tonight, right? They might think it's true. So we'll be in Leviticus chapter 11, Deuteronomy 14 for the next few weeks. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Yahweh, thank you for your word. Help us to believe it. Help us to love you. Forgive us where we err because we do so every day. Father, thank you for your love and your kindness upon us and your grace that saves us from our sins. Thank you, Father, for your mercy. Father, I pray that, I pray, Yahweh, that your word would be remembered by every person in here today and that you would continue to bless us throughout the next few Sabbaths as we talk about this subject and we remind ourselves or maybe tell ourselves something brand new as we study. I pray that we'd be willing to receive what your word has to say and take baby steps. And Father, you're so. You're so long-suffering with us. You don't put everything on us at one time, but you teach us little by little. You show us one step at a time, and you're just a great, gracious Father. Thank you, Yahweh. I love you, Father Yahweh. Help me to show you that I love you by keeping your commandments. I pray all these things through your Son, Yeshua. Amen. Amen.